0: This is, we are in week four of a six-part series. This will take us all the way to Easter. So glad that you're here this morning. Um, if you are not here, I encourage you to go, especially if you were not here last week. There's a free CD in the back of last week's message. It would be so crucial to you, especially if you're a person out there that struggles with your faith or sometimes has doubts or, or, or you get challenged at work and all of a sudden your science buddy's like, well, that's not, that's dumb. And, you know, you get, if you ever go through those experiences, I, I want to let you know that we've been walking through this series because here's, here's what I know about you. This is what I know you fill in the blank somehow every person who's had any exposure or any experience and and for some people who are who are maybe new to faith like this is there, there's like Jesus is confusing. You're not even sure. It, it, it's a little bit vague. There's definitely a mysteriousness to, us, to it. If, if you are outside of the faith, who knows? I mean, it could come out of any direction. You, Jesus could come out of like uh, that bad experience with that one time you went to church, or that ugly evil Christian that was mean to you, and was so like the way you fill in this blank is based on your past experiences. Sometimes, sometimes you're like, I remember what Jesus is like. It's like that church that my grandma took me to, and they, you know, whatever. And so we, or we have these things in the news, or we have these things in the media and everybody's trying to paint a picture of jesus or you just stumble into one but here's what we all know every one of you fills in the blank somehow last week we talked about the idea that some people try to fill in the blank by just saying well i guess he was just a good person just a good moral teacher and and we kind of obliterated that because there's no way that jesus could be good unless he was actually god because anybody that gets up and claims to be god but isn't is either a liar and a con artist, or needs to be in, in a straitjacket. One of the two. But they're usually not good. And so Jesus is more than a good person. And so today, what I want to do is kind of take this next step. Because Jesus, what, what Jesus, how he filled in the blank for himself was this. He goes, I am the Son of Man. Which was this play on, like, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one sent by God. And so we have all these things that we're filling in. Because I want to help you fill in the blank in, in the best way possible. And today, let's take that next step of how you fill in the blank have you ever, have you ever noticed how like the best friends that you ever had in life typically had a nickname? Uh, now girls, you might be a little bit different, but, but sometimes y'all do, but y'all are nicer than us. Cause like guys are mean sometimes about their nicknames. Like we could be crude. We'd be like, Hey, what's up, man? We, it's a bad name, <laughs> but we think it's funny. And, uh, I don't want to get into them because I might offend somebody. But, you know, we have these certain names. But everyone you the people that are closest to you, typically if you spend enough time with them, they do something dumb or they do something funny or they're known for something. And so then because of what they're known for, you give them a nickname, right? Like I have a buddy that I spend a lot of time with, and his name isn't Steve. We call him Scuba. And that nickname doesn't make any sense to you, but it makes sense to me. Does that, does that make sense? Like I, I got, like I, I have another friend. His name's not Vito, it's Papa V, right? And so that, that's just his name because you hang out and, like, you just shorten things or you put a Y on the end of something and you just – or you just create a nickname. Like, uh, like my, I had my old buddy Aaron. He, he always was, uh, wanted to be, you know, kind of a thug and, and a rap star. And so we, we his name was Aaron Grijalva, but We nicknamed him A to the G. And uh, that, was his, that, was his, that was his rapper name. Or, or you, just, you just mess up their name. You know, you take their name and you just mess with – like Delano's back there. And I, I spent so much time with Delano. We worked together. So I don't call him Delano. I call him Chaplino, and I don't even know why. Hey, if you really want to mess with them, go call him Delano. It totally is just is—is is it Delano? No, I don't. But nobody else calls him Chaplino but me. I think I'm the only one that does it. So, so my point is, is that when you really, really get close to someone, you, you get a new name and you connect a new name to him, and you just hey, it's Shorty or or or, or Boo or you know guys, I don't. I, I, I want to throw out some of my guy names, but I can't do it because they're, they're mean. Or like my old buddy Nate was a Nate dog, you know, so you just always, if it's a dude, you can put dog at the end of it. And so it all kinds of ways of creating nicknames. But how many know, like when you see them, you're happy to see them and you throw that name out there. And that name gives you a sense of connectedness to them because it connects you to who they are and the stories and the memories or the reason why they're called that. And sometimes that's not always good. But My point is is that sometimes what connects you to another person is not just the name that they have, but the nickname that you have for them. And I want you to see something interesting here. Listen to this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. The Bible says that she, and this is referring to Mary, will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name. What? That is not like a trick question. You can be like afraid or nervous, like he's going to say something. He always does that. What's his name? Alright, everybody together like you know, not not like we're Raider fans, but we're like we're Niner fans. Everybody say it. You are to give him the name Jesus, which by the way is an incredibly common name in their time. Like Jesus, we kind of morphed it into Jesus. Do you know that the word Jesus, and the name Jesus is actually the Hebrew word for Joshua? It means the Lord our salvation. So it's, it's Joshua. But Jesus, you know, Jesus, if you're Hispanic, Jesus is still common today. You know what I mean? If you hit a great Mexican restaurant, there's a chance that your server is named what? Well, Jesus, but I'd be careful, but like, you know, because what if your server comes and he's, he's really nice and he gives you bread? What do you. Thank you, Jesus. You want to stay with Jesus there? Come on now. But my my point is that this is his given name. It's his common name. It's a common name in in, in certain Hispanic cultures. It was an incredibly common name in Jesus' day because it wasn't Jesus. It was Joshua. And so this is the name. The angel said to Mary, this is the name that you are to give your son. His name shall be, everybody say, Jesus Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins, which makes total sense because Joshua was the word or the name, meaning the Lord, our salvation. And so the name totally fit with his purpose. And he goes, that's the name that you are to give him. But two verses later, this is what it says. It says that the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him what? Emmanuel, meaning like his name is Jesus. But if you know him, what you really want to know him as and what you really want to be able to call him, instead of Jesus' dog or what I don't know what you would come up with, what you really want to be able to name Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here's what I think you need to know about God, and I want you to be really clear about this, is that God is incredibly relational. Did you know that? Like God is a relational being. I know we think God is distant and far away and somewhere in the universe or he holds the universe in the spine of his hand and he's big and he's distant. But here's what you need to know is that God is incredibly relational. It's just the way that he is. As a matter of fact, uh, we know because the Bible teaches us and different authors throughout the Bible teach that God is love. Everybody say that. We may say God is love. We know that God is love. And here's what you need to know about God and his relational being that he is is that God had to be in relationship long before you were ever created. And here's what I mean by that. If God is love, and love by the biblical definition is is an act of kindness, an act of sacrifice, an action of love towards another person or another being, here's what I need you to know. If you didn't exist and God was all alone in the universe, God could not have been loved because he would have had nobody to love, which makes total sense of the Trinity, is that before you began... Before you existed, before you were created, that God was already loved because he was in perfect harmony and perfect relationship with himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because God is incredibly relational. Jesus explains God that way. Jesus tells one of the most famous parables. It's called the parable of the prodigal son, which is a bad title, by the way. It's actually a story about a father and two sons. Basically, the first son gets buck wild, crazy, goes bananas, hits the strip, goes down and just makes a wreck of his life. And he's he's wild. The other kid is the good kid that stays at home and on the outside appears to be the better kid. But at the end of the story, the way it works is that God is able to have both kids back at home. But the older kid is angry. He's jealous, he's bitter, because he's like, wait a minute, this guy went out, wasted all your money, wrecked his life, and now he comes back, and you throw a big party, and you're so excited that he's back home. What about me? And as Jesus is telling the parable, he he ends the parable on this beautiful note. And And then this parable ends differently than any other parable, because he just lets it hang. But the father says to the older son, he said, son, all that I have has always been yours, and you have always been with me everybody say with me do you know what the father thought that the greatest thing that you could have in life was to be with him that the prize was not getting god's stuff the prize was getting god himself that the point of everything was not to like just find peace and find happiness and have god bless me and do a lot of stuff but the ultimate prize was to be with god because god is a relational being are you with me so far If Jesus is the express image of God, do you know what that means? Is that Jesus is incredibly relational. And when you look at how he interacted with other people, here's what you need to know. Is that Jesus is a friend. Like that's who he is. When you fill in the blank, I want you to know that when you read his life, you can fill this in quite confidently. Because Jesus is all about people. Have you ever thought about the idea that Jesus didn't step into doing ministry work until he was 30 years old? Here's a question. What was he doing before that? He just was, was just with, with people. Part school, part dad's trade as a carpenter and a woodworker. He was just, for 30 years, he didn't, he didn't do miracles? No. Th- what was he doing for 30 years? Apparently, he was just hanging out with people, connecting with people, relating with people, preparing himself for one day, but he was doing it all the while with people. For 30 years. So that I believe that he can, he can at one point in time say, man, I get it. I totally know. I get that. I'm with you on that. I understand that. I've been tempted there. I know what that feels like. Yeah, that's terrible. Here's, I guess, my big point is that when you look at some of the great friends that you have in life, many times the reason why they're great friends is there's a get it factor, and we don't even know what that means. We just mean it's like we get each other. They get me, I like them, we connect, I don't even know why, we just like each other. And, and Jesus has a get it factor, because Jesus understands what it's like to be you. First 30 years of his life, didn't even step into ministry, just wanted to know what it was like to be with Jesus. People. As a matter of fact, look at the scripture in Hebrews with me real quick here. The Bible says, and this is Hebrews 2 out of the message, it says, that's why he had to enter into every detail of human life. Then when he came before God as a high priest to get rid of people's sins, he would have already experienced all himself, all the pain, all the testing, and would be able to help where help was needed. Isn't that a great scripture? Like, you you know what that means? Is that Jesus understands. Like, many times, when we fill in the blank, we have these ancient images of Jesus, like, that are in the video. These old school portraits and images of Jesus. Sometimes we have felt board Jesus. You know what I mean? Little stickers, Jesus on the board. We have the, I'm telling you, he understands. Jesus knows, because sometimes in life, you will have a pity party. And in your tears, you will say something, nobody understands. Nobody knows what it's like to be me. Nobody knows. And you break out in the song. I want you to know something. Is that, is that there is nothing that you can go through that Jesus does not understand. Let me let me break down like this. Jesus, Jesus understands relationships. Did you know that? How many of you have funky family? Raise your hand. You have, fun, you have crazy family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many of you are not raising your hand because your family is with you right now? I almost got you. You almost raised your hand? Yeah. So, every every circus has clowns. Every tree's got squirrels. Every family seems to have some nuttiness in it. And if you don't know who the nutty person in your family is, it's most likely that it's you. And so... Every family has got some funky craziness, and everybody's got that one crazy uncle or the one that's in prison, the one that's addicted, the one that keeps asking you for money, or it could be you. That Anyway, you, you figure that out, who you are in the story. But my point is we all got crazy family, and we all got funky family. Look look at Jesus' life. He had funky family. The Bible says this in Mark 6. I think I read this just a couple of weeks ago. Is this not the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? He's the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. See, after after Joseph and Mary had Jesus, Mary the Virgin birth, well, like Joseph and Mary stayed together. They they actually were officially married and started having kids of their own. So these are kind of like his half brothers. He's got little how many got little brothers and sisters? Raise your hand. They're annoying, aren't they? And so. Aren't his sisters with us? I mean, we just named off four brothers. I don't even know how many sisters he had. And listen to this, verse 21 of Mark 3. When his fam- family heard about this, they t- they went to take charge of him because they said he's out of his mind. Like, that's what they said about Jesus in the beginning. Now, what you know later is, is that this is my, one of the most convincing things that makes me believe Jesus really rose from the dead. It's because the people that once thought he was crazy were like, holy smokes, that was the real deal. It was his brother James that we'll read about in the next few weeks to come that we'll get to the series quick to the point. I'm telling you, Jesus had his own funky family dynamic. Here's another one. Jesus understands pain. Listen to this, Isaiah 53.3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. If you feel like, man, I've gone through just incredible abuse, stuff that I've tried to suppress and hide. And I work out in therapy sessions twice a week. And I take medication for that. And I've got so much junk and baggage and what I've been through in life. Nobody, I want you to know that Jesus understands pain and suffering. Not only that, he understands rejection. He does. If you were ever dumped, divorced, picked last for kickball, whatever it is, he understands Rejection, Those are not equal things, no. I wasn't putting those on the same scale, everybody. Jesus understands what it's like to be... Think think about this. Think about this. For three years of your life, you spend time with people that you, you live your life with them. And for three years, you bear all and give your entire life to for three and a half years. And in your time of greatest need, when Jesus goes to the cross, his 12 closest companions and friends, one of them sells them out for money. The other one denies ever knowing him. Nine of them just run. Just run. Escape. Flee. How would you feel? Have you ever felt like when my friends, when I needed them the most, they were nowhere to be found? When I needed somebody just to hold my hand, to pray with me, to to, to listen to me cry, whatever it was, and you felt like no one was there, I'm telling you, Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected. Let's keep going. Jesus understands loss. There's something about death that makes me feel like the way that we grieve and process death is proof that death is not God's way. Because if evolution were true, we would be over it by now. Every time somebody would die, we'd be like, hey, that's just what happens. Peace out. We, we would be perfectly okay just letting people. But it, it, it tears us up inside. It twists us up in knots. Death is incredibly painful. We are not evolutionary creatures. There's something wrong with death. And this is why Jesus defeated death. And this is why Jesus said those who come to me will live forever. I'm telling you there's just something there's something about this death thing. But I want you to know that even Jesus, knowing all that he knew, when his best friend Lazarus died, he showed up at the funeral and cried. And then he raised him from the dead. But before he did that, he cried. I'm telling you Jesus understands loss. Here's here's a thought because I know some of you out there you're like you have no idea what my wife is like what my husband is like I'll tell you what Jesus doesn't know Jesus was never married <laughs> I mean, I mean, Jesus understands marriage he does you know what the whole the whole story of Jesus and and people is is they use a parable they use a metaphor and it's just Jesus as the groom and the church as his bride. Jesus understands marriage. As a matter of fact, Jesus understands what it's like to have an unfaithful marriage partner. He totally understands. The Bible says that, 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 that God and Israel, they, they likened it unto a marriage. And God said, you're, you're an adulteress because you keep cheating on me. God understands the pain of divorce. Jesus understands the pain of rejection. I'm telling you, he understands. But he also understands joy. I want you to know, like, Jesus gets joy and laughter and happiness and celebration. The Bible says that when a sinner repents and comes to God, they throw a party in heaven because they just want to celebrate and rejoice. There, there's, the, the Bible says that, that for the joy that was set before him, that's the why he endured the cross. Like, Jesus takes incredible joy and pleasure in seeing you, in living in you, and with you, and through you. And Jesus understands joy. He understands. And the point of me sharing with you all of this is that this qualifies Jesus To be your friend. Like to you. Not just the disciples. Not just in theory. No, to you personally. Jesus is qualified to be your best friend. And I know some of you out there are reluctant because you're like, uh, I don't think you know who I am. Uh, you don't know what I did this weekend, and you don't know what I've been through, and you don't know where I'm at. I, I mean, I know Jesus loves me because Jesus loves the little children. I know that Jesus loves me because God is loving all of this. But I don't think you understand. Jesus wouldn't want to be my friend. As a matter of fact, you might be the first person Jesus would want to hang out with. Listen to the Scripture. The Bible says, Matthew 11, the Son of Man, Jesus, came eating and drinking, and then they said about him, well, he's a glutton. A wine-bibber. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Do you know what the religious people of Jesus' day thought about Jesus? They thought he was crazy. They thought, why in the world would a religious holy man, a man of God, why would he ever go hang out with those people? See, what was fascinating about Jesus is that for, for whatever reason, the people that were least like Jesus liked Jesus. Do you notice that? The people who were least like him are maybe the ones that liked him the most. Jesus was constantly hanging out with people. So he finds this Matthew, this tax collector, who everybody despised because he was basically a traitor to the nation of Israel. And Jesus says, hey, I want to come over to your house for dinner tonight. Let's hang. What? He later finds another one, a little short guy named Zacchaeus, tax collector, traitor to the nation of Israel. Hey, what are you doing tonight? Let's kick it. Dinner party. Dinner party. Jesus is hanging out at a Pharisee's house, dinner party. Jesus was always wanting to hang out with people. Walks up to a woman at a well. Hey, what are you doing? What's up? Talk to her. Nobody would ever talk to a Samaritan woman. It was was, uh, totally weird for a man to walk up to a foreign Samaritan woman and just kick it with her and talk with her. And this is just what Jesus did. Jesus was a fan of dinner parties. Jesus loved hanging out with people to the point that they they claimed he was a drunkard, a wine-bibber, and a glutton. Why? Dinner parties. Jesus just wanted to hang out. Look at every experience that Jesus has after the resurrection. Do you know that every experience, go read it for yourself, every experience that Jesus had after the resurrection involved food and hanging out. Why? Jesus just wants to hang out. Jesus is a friend. And if you're screwed up, he likes you. Your family might not like you, but Jesus, He likes you. He is a friend of sinners, so take comfort in that. Is that Jesus is incredibly relational and wants to have a personal connection with you. And so, in light of that, here's what I want you to do I want you to make Jesus your friend. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. And for some of you, this isn't just a step towards salvation. Some of you already have said, yeah, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of some grace. Please save me. Please forgive me of my sin. But that's as far as it went. And what I'm telling you is to get the most out of God and Jesus and all that there is in this life to experience the best life possible. It's by making Jesus more than just a religious figure and more than a man hanging on a cross who died for your sin. It's to make him close and personal, to make him a friend. Listen to me. Have you ever heard the phrase, of course you have, let me just say it anyway. Have you ever heard the phrase, it's not what you know, it's. How many of you love that in life? Okay. I'm going to tell you why you raised your hand. Have you ever had somebody like give you free tickets or something? And you got to go to a cool event because somebody hooked you up? In that moment, you liked that phrase, right? So this phrase is relative. Sometimes you like it. Have you ever been passed over? For a job or a promotion or a thing because somebody knew that was a, well, the, he's, he's the boss's nephew, jerk. He's dumb and he got the job, you know. And you thought, wow, what it was so true. It's not what you know, it's who you know in life. Let me tell you what, it is true. And it's okay that it's true and I'm going to tell you why. The only way that you get into heaven is not based on what you know. It's based on who you know. But like Jesus tells a parable. He goes, there's, 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 yeah, give the Lord a big hand clap. You wanted to, you're just not sure. Jesus tells a story. And he goes, hey, it's like, he calls the parable of the ten virgins. He's like, there's ten smart ones, there's ten kind of dumb ones, and, and this is what the dumb ones do, the smart ones do. But here's what the picture looks like, is they're all going to a wedding. Which means this, is the kingdom of God is like a party. It's relational. It's But Does that make sense? So they all go to this party, but the, the wise ones were ready and prepared. The dumb ones were not. So the wise ones go into the party, and they're having a great time. The dumb ones show up late. And, and so what they say is they knock on the door, and they say, hey, we're here. What's up? Like the people that really didn't get invited, but they want to go anyway. Like, we're here. You ever crash a party? Uninvited, unwelcome. It was awkward, wasn't it? So the five... Foolish ones, I said dumb, they're foolish according to the Bible, it's kind of the same thing. They show up, and the voice on the other side of the door says these words. They say, I'm sorry, I never knew you. So showing up and banging on the door does not qualify you to get in. He said, I never knew you. In Matthew 7, there's a similar phrasing where these people come to God and they say, look at all we did. And look at all we did. And we did this and we did this. And, we did this. and Jesus said, I'm sorry, I never knew you. And it's a haunting statement because you're like, wow, these people were really good people. And they did a lot of good things for God. And yet God is saying, I'm sorry, I, I don't know you. Which just shows you all the more clear That God does not want you to have an exact church attendance, a number of scriptures memorized, and a number of works done nearly as much as what he wants is for you just to be known by him. Let me tell you what this looks like. In in John chapter 1... Jesus, this is the beginning, obviously, if it's in chapter one. Jesus is calling his disciples. And there's this guy named Nathaniel, and they bring the boys meet Jesus and they're like flipped out. They think he's the Messiah, it's crazy cool, and they're like, Hey, you've got to come check this guy out. Nathaniel, you've got to come meet Jesus. And he's like, Man, are you for real? And he's got all these doubts. And so Nathaniel walks up to Jesus, and before he's even fully up into the presence of Jesus, Jesus calls out his name, even though they've never met, and he goes, You're Nathaniel, an Israelite, and his, who there is no guile. And Nathaniel's like, What? How did you know me? And Jesus' response, remember we're talking about the idea of knowing. So he asked the question, how did you know me? And Jesus' response is, because I saw you when you were under the fig tree. The fig tree for them was where a Jewish student would go to pray and study the Torah. He would go and study and pray and study and pray and seek God. Why? Because it was burning hot. It was so hot, you would find the best place you could, what was the best place that you could go and have a private time and be alone? You would go find these big leaves and get up underneath the, the shade of the leaves. And in the peace of the shade, you would seek God and have a personal, private moment with God. And so when, when Nathaniel walks up, he says, how did you know me? He's like, I saw you. I've been hearing your prayers for years. I've been listening to you bear all, tell me everything, open up to me. And so, th- again, make Jesus your friend. And then here's what I want you to do. I want you to talk to him because this is what friends do don't they don't great friends talk you chat you connect this is this is what you do and so this is what it means to be known by somebody if you bottle everything up and never share anything then i don't really know you i've got a superficial relationship with you but what i want you to do with jesus is bear all this is what you do already anyway with your friends we live in a world of text messaging don't we how many out there underneath the age of 25 raise your hand real quick you're underneath the age of 25 raise your hand y'all are very reluctant to raise your hand You are really old back there. You are not under 25. Um, Listen, because this is what y'all do. You just text. Hey, what's up? What are you doing? Nothing. I mean, you just go back and forth with nothing. Like, you don't even say anything. You just constantly, like, back and forth and back and forth. You already do it. I just want you to do it with Jesus. I want you to come to God in a a private moment and say, hey, what's up? What are you doing? Nothing. Like, I, I just want you to talk to God. I want you to have conversation with God. I want you to have dialogue with God. I want you, like, like, hey, how was your day? What did you do today? This stinks. This is awful. This is bad. I felt this way. Why? And what you do is every time you talk about who, who you are, how you think, how you feel, what's going on in your life, what you know what you're doing? You're becoming known. And Jesus wants to know you because Jesus wants to be a close and personal friend. Jesus wants to talk with you. And it's powerful when you do this. Not only that, when you get underneath that fig tree and you get in that personal private place with God, you want God to speak to you. Some of you don't ever crack your Bible open from Sunday to Sunday. It's something you just read on the screens or it's like the reading the Bible. I'm telling you what, the way that I believe God speaks most is through the words that he already wrote. And so God wants to speak to you through the scriptures. God wants to talk to you. And even more than that, God wants you to talk to him so that you can be known to him. Lastly, make Jesus your friend. Talk to him. And I want you to trust him with your life. Do you know what Jesus, your friend, is doing for you right now? So the Bible says that Jesus is sitting right now after he rose from the dead, went to ascend to heaven, that he is seated at the right hand of the Father and is making intercession for you. But that's what Jesus, do you know what Jesus is still doing? Jesus is still trying to hook you up. Jesus is still trying to make life happen for you, Make life to intercede for you means that literally he's sitting next to the Father and he's got your back. He's sitting next to the Father and says, yeah, I know, but don't worry, I I covered that on the cross. Yeah, don't, don't look at that. And so Jesus is still trying to forgive your sins. He's still trying to bless you. He's still trying to hook you up. And if Jesus is your friend, how many know it's good to have friends in high places because his life is not what you know, it's who you know. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, still trying to make life happen for you. That's the kind of friend that he is. Listen to this. In light of that, this is what we ought to do. Hebrews 4.16. So then let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. Another translation said we should boldly go to the throne of grace. So that what? So that we may receive mercy, find grace to help us in our time of need. You know what? When Jesus is your friend, you know what you get? You get mercy, you get grace, and you get help. And some of us are struggling through life because we've made a, 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 a move towards God to forgive us of our sins, but we've not moved any closer, and so we struggle through life. And we think, well, I put my faith in Jesus, but I'm still struggling. It's because there's no relationship. Jesus wants to be there as your friend. What is he going to give you? Well, number one, he said he give you mercy. Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. Like when you ought to get punishment and somebody gives you mercy, you don't get what you deserve do deserve. Grace is the opposite. Grace is when you, when you do get what you don't deserve. Sometimes life people just hook you up or you're favored or things are just given to you and you're blessed. You got something that you didn't deserve. That's grace. And then the third thing he said he would give you was help. You know what help is this is help. There's nothing magical about that one. It's just how, how many of you would like more help in life and more help, more wisdom, more guidance, more faith? You just want help. I'm telling you that this is what takes place when you enter into this relationship with Jesus. Not the stained glass figure, not felt board Jesus, not the man still hanging on the cross. I'm, I, trust me, Jesus is still the Savior. But what he wants to be is Emmanuel. He wants to be with you. So... I guess my point today is this, is that Jesus is a friend. And that when you see him, you know that you can approach him as a friend. But the more powerful step that I want you to take is for you to make Jesus this. I want you to make him my friend. That's where life gets incredibly awesome. let has bow our heads and close our eyes today. No matter what you've done or where you've gone, what you've been through, You might think that you're a pretty bad person. Maybe you are. But Jesus still loves you. You might have done a lot of awful things, but Jesus still loves you. And he will not leave you the same way that he found you. God wants to do great things in your life. Jesus wants to heal. Jesus wants to help. Jesus wants to give you mercy where you need mercy and give you grace where you need grace. And so today I want you to take that step. For some of you, it is Jesus is just a religious figure. He's the thing we sing about at church, but he's not personal. It's time to take that step. If not, you're living a weak version of Christianity. You're living a powerless version of Christianity. I'm telling you, there's so much more. and Jesus wants to be your friend. He wants to give you the grace and the mercy and the help that you need. It takes place when you make Him your friend. That friendship takes place when you begin to talk to Him, when you begin to make yourself known, when you invite Him in. Deeper issues of your life, the deeper issues of your soul, what you're going through, what you're experiencing, how you think, how you feel, and you invite Jesus into that. I'm telling you, he's more than a distant being. He is really, really close. Jesus is talking to a group of people at one point in time. And he tells them this. He goes, you are so close to the kingdom of God. You're right there on the brink. And that's where so many of you are. And here's what I want you to do is I want you to take that next step. For some of you, it's putting faith in Jesus for the very first time. For others, it's making Jesus more than just a religious figure. But you're saying, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to be known by you. I want to feel close. I want to have a relationship with you. I believe that you're friendly. But God, I actually want you to be my friend. And so, Father, I pray for everybody in here within the sound of my voice. God, let them take that step towards you. Let them open their hearts towards you. If you're in this place today, and you have never made that step, you've never even kind of moved that way towards Jesus, then I want to encourage you, today's your day. And I want you to take like a real step today. And if you're out there and you say, Todd, I want to make a move towards Jesus. I I, I want to know Jesus. I want Jesus to forgive me of my sins, but I actually want Jesus to know me. And I want Jesus involved in my life. If that's you out here today, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. And this is just your little simple way of saying, Jesus, I, I want to be known by you. I want to know you. Then on the count of three, just say that to me today. One, two, three. And slip your hand up in the air. Yeah, look at that. That is awesome. Jesus, I, I want to be known by you. I want to bear all. I want you involved into the weirdness and the deepness of all that I am. I want you to be my Savior, but I also want you to be my friend. Everybody, I want us to do this today. I want us to pray a prayer today. I want to do it all together. I want us to say it out loud so we can hear it with our own ears. And this is just so that they don't have to pray it all alone. We're going to do it together as one big group, one big family. Are you ready? Everybody say this prayer with me. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. And change my life. I want to know you. I want to feel close. I want to be known. Help me Lord. To follow you. To know you. To walk with you. I thank you. That you forgive sins. I thank you. That you give help. Lord Jesus I need you. And it is in your name that I pray. Give me the best amen you got today. Amen. Yeah, give the Lord a big hand clap.